Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Movie Chatter. I'm Eric, and I am here tonight with Lou and Robin. Robin, how are you tonight? I'm good, good, good. All right. Lou, what about you? I'm good, 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 too. All right. Oh, I'm, cheater, I'm copycatter. Good, good, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm not quite good, good, <laughs> good. Good, okay, good. Good, good okay, okay, yes. good, good. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm confused. I'm going through eight weeks of of training at work and my brain is melting and that's okay because I get to come home and, and just kind of have a really lighthearted, fluffy, easygoing conversation tonight about philosophy and theology and the nature of reality and pistolology. Uh, pistolology. <laughs> what, what is it? Epistemology. Episiotomy? Wait, no. Epistem. <laughs> okay, whatever it was Robin just said. Isn't tight. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, if you didn't already know from the title of the episode, which actually I, I might just call it Pistolology, but in uh, <laughs> the show notes, we are tackling the Matrix trilogy today. And by the Matrix trilogy, I mean the Matrix. And then we're also going to mention the other two movies in passing. <laughs> so there were two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were well, so that's let's get into that. There was The Matrix. There were two sequels. And there were also a bunch of other things. There was the uh there was a really good, really long documentary called Matrix Revisited. There was The Animatrix, which was a collection of anime-style short movies, which was really good. There were two volumes of comic books that were really, really good. I mean, we're talking like stuff written by Neil Gaiman and other really well-known authors. Uh, there was an MMORPG. Uh, if you don't know what that is, think World of Warcraft. Uh, and it was, um, it was really well-liked at the time. It wasn't really popular. Uh, World of Warcraft back then was really the juggernaut, but the following it had was a very, very dedicated following. And, and they uh, had in-game events that would actually change the structure of the storyline going forward. And it was uh, it was a big deal. And actually, when they shut down the servers, uh, they um, oh, and you could broadcast radio stations and stuff in the game and also stream it out through the web at the same time. And it was interesting because the night they closed down the servers, uh, they had the agents swarm the servers and would start taking over characters accounts. And really? They would start turning wow. into That's agents. Awesome. And there were people like doing the whole role play thing who were broadcasting as the servers, as the world was coming to an end, basically. They were live broadcasting it for like eight to 10 hours straight and covering like the different zones and areas in the game that were being taken over. People were swarming in trying to fight back. And it was really interesting. Sort of like what Lou's doing right now? Kind of. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> hey. I don't. Come on. And, and fortunately, the, the listeners can't see the video. See, Tim has been rubbing off too much on you, Robin. We don't talk about video stuff on the audio shows. Oh, God. Sigh. All these rules. I know. I'm so difficult. So The Matrix has had a lot of content. And they are going to be releasing another Matrix movie. We had rumors of a Morpheus prequel, and it turns out... I think we're getting something else instead. 
I think it's going to be a follow-up, I assume, because Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss apparently are both signed on. Uh, Lana Wachowski has also signed on. I think it's just going to be one of the Wachowskis this time around. And uh, this is the 20th anniversary of The Matrix this year. So that's kind of a big deal. And before we get into what we're going to talk about this episode, I want to know what you guys thought of the movie, of the sequels, and any other content that you might have consumed. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, The Matrix, the first one, is one of my favorite movies of all time. It ranks up there with Star Wars oh. and Blade Runner. I absolutely love and adore this movie. But, Lou, I want to oh. know what do you think. Are, are you a Matrix fan? I, I am. I am. I'm a huge fan. In fact, I, I just watched the, you know, the original leading up to this episode. So I'd be kind of primed and ready for it. Well, that um, makes one of us. I, I, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where, I, you know, I, I knew I loved it. I knew it was a great movie. I've seen it a bunch of times, but I haven't seen it in a while. And I'm watching it. I'm going, I forgot how good this movie really was. Yeah. Um, just from the way it starts, even you didn't, you know, you didn't know where you were. It was, it had that kind of, um, I mean, there's a few movies that have done some of this over the years where you don't know really what's going on, but you have a sense of it. And, um, as the movie unfolds, you, you learn more and you're, you're, you're learning with Neo as he's, you know, growing into this world. And you're like, this is so cool. You know, and that this makes it, that discovery process, I think, makes it a much better film than something else would have been in its place, maybe. Yeah, I've, I've always loved the way that they've used the main characters and Avatar for the audience. The main character is lost and confused and doesn't know what's going on, too. And so as he gets to explore this world and make these discoveries, you're making them along with him. And so you really are thoroughly invested in that character because that character is you throughout right. This journey. What about the sequels? We'll come um, back I'm to those in detail more, in a minute. But yeah, I mean, I'm probably more forgiving of the sequels than a lot of people are. I, yeah. I actually enjoy the whole trilogy as a story. Um, it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go, <laughs> you know, when True. we watched it. But um, I think I'm pretty happy with it overall. Okay. Robin. Mm. <laughs> so not one of my favorite movies of all time. <sighs> it certainly was compelling when I saw it. I, I came at it from the philosophical, you know, the central philosophical question. And so that intrigued me. Um, and I think watching the sequels ruined the first movie for me. Okay. Explain. So well, it got tropey and a little preachy, and I, I don't, I, it, it fell apart for me, it, and it just kept falling apart. And I felt like I was just watching the same story over and over and over. I didn't see a whole lot of growth, but that okay. could have been. I haven't watched the entire thing um, in a long time. But of the three, the first one is my favorite. Oh, absolutely! I think most people mm, would agree definitely. with that. Uh, and in preparation for tonight, I, I know I personally focused primarily on the first one and I kind of feel a little bit guilty. Like I should have gone back and watched the second and third ones again. Um, I, most people didn't like the second and third because I think that the second one tried to 
expand without seeming like it had a cohesive point behind it. And it didn't really get across the concepts that it tried to introduce as well as the first movie did. And then the thing at the end was really confusing. Mm-hmm. And Neo having powers in the real world was confusing. And the Wachowskis later explained that. And it makes sense when you hear the explanation, but you shouldn't have to get an explanation outside of the movie. The movie mm. should give you enough information that you can draw your own conclusion as to what's going on. The third one I liked a lot better than the second one, but people had issues with it too. People didn't like the, uh, the fight scene at the beginning of the second movie because the CG was so heavy handed. I think, uh, what they call the burly man fight with Neo fighting off like 800 agents outside of the safe house. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> nobody liked the rave scene. The rave scene didn't bother me. Like it was, I, I think it was needless, but it also kind of served a point to show that the humans were reveling in being human and, and kind of, a, I don't want to say hedonism, but kind of the whole, I mean, we saw this in, in war movies too, in World War II movies or Vietnam movies or whatever, like, you know, the night before the big battle. I mean, even going back into like really old uh, Norse mythology stuff or whatever, you know, the, the night before the big battle, people throw a big feast and they get drunk and, you know, and because they know they're going to die the next day. Mm-hmm. So the rave mm-hmm. scene thing really didn't bother me that much. But the final battle at the end of the third one between Neo and the agents. I think a lot of people, it lost a lot of people, but to Mm. me, the end of the third one, I was more interested in what was happening in Zion and and the humans fighting back against the machines. I really enjoyed that part of the movie, but there were some interesting philosophical things about the end of the trilogy too though probably not as profound as the first movie. If you just look at the first movie on its own. Now, the first movie was groundbreaking in the use of some of the technology. We got the bullet time thing out of it. There was Mm -hmm. the use of colors. Everything was shaded green when you're in the matrix. uh, Mm -hmm. And it was very uh, saturated with blue in the real world. You had the fact that it was a sci-fi action movie that had a really, really heavy uh, side of philosophical content. And there were multiple philosophical um, concepts there. And there were theological allegories in it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not just the Judeo-Christian theology, but a lot of different uh, religious beliefs kind of mirrored in the movies. So... There's a lot mm-hmm. of depth to it. And that's, some, not, that's something we really didn't see in our sci-fi back then or even today. Yeah, very few movies do that well. And, and I think it's that whole, you know, thought-provoking aspect of this that makes it such a good movie. Because I don't right. want to be spoon-fed this stuff. I want to be engaged the whole time I'm watching this and trying to figure things out. Right. Well... And then on top of that, it was also a really well-directed action movie. So. I Robin, think, it, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 
I think it was <clears throat> well directed in part because they drew on so many other um, um, uh, movie, not just effects, but movie philosophies. So they draw from anime. They drew right yep. from from what we would call, from at least when I was a child, these kung fu, you know, sort of action things and I th action mm -hmm. movies. And I think this is one of the first movies to bring all of that together in a non-anime, non-right, um, Asian-influenced right. um, piece. A westernized. And, and mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So they, they really brought together a bunch of different worlds without telling you they were going to do it. And very seamlessly, it made sense. Mm -hmm. You know, this wouldn't have been um, a good movie or as good a movie is if it didn't draw on those very particular techniques in order to um, uh, bring you the visuals that you needed to have in order to suspend disbelief. Right. So there, there are so many different directions we can go with this. And my <laughs> well, brain Eric, is so do you melted. Want the, but... Do you want the red pill? Or do you want the blue pill? Well, really, I think that that is the <laughs> biggest question I have. We can get into like some really, really deep dives with, um, you know, Plato and that Socrates guy <laughs> and uh, the Descartes guy and, and all of these different. Yes, I know it's Socrates. You don't have to email me. And uh, Descartes emailing. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But really it, at the essence of what I find fascinating is the concept of if you are in a situation like this, do you take the red pill or the blue pill? Now the blue pill is the one where you stay in the matrix and you stay ignorant. And the red pill is the one where you wake up and uh, see the world for what it is. And every time you ask someone this, they always say they would take the red pill. They want to know the truth. And I think that that is the kind of the superhero idealistic. Well, yes, obviously I want to know the truth because that's the important thing. And that's why everybody picks it. But I kind of want to spin the other argument here because there is. So first of all, if you know that there's knowledge out there and you don't have the knowledge, you want the knowledge. So inherently people are going to want to take the red pill because even the choice itself, you can't really choose until you feel like you know what the two choices really are. So it's kind of an unfair question in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there's that side of it, but let's say, you know, you go into this and you know what the real world is and you know what the matrix is because there are characters who are actually in exactly that situation is it really worth it to live in misery and constantly being chased as opposed to living in the matrix and having some agency over the consequences of your decision in what constitutes the reality in which you're participating? Or See, for me, this was more about the embracing, embracing the choice, you know, so many times um, <clears throat> I think for me, the heart of the film was if you want it and go get it and then you have it, you've got a responsibility to do something with it, which means you have to embrace it for the good and the bad. 
<clears throat> and I think this film successfully laid that out for us because you, you, in some instances, I wanted Neo to go back. Like, you know what? You were like comfy, cozy. You were a hacker. You were, you know, all these things. And now look at, look at the grays that, that you've got. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, <clears throat> it made me care for his uncomfortableness, um, which made me root for him to be successful in the, um, the rebellion against the machines. But what would you pick, Robin? Would you pick the red pill or the blue pill? I already know what Tim chose. Oh, I really? asked him this on the Random Chatter interview session that oh. I did with him. Huh. Interesting. I wonder if I'd choose the same thing. We can come uh, back to you if you want. Yeah, come back to me. Give me a second. Go Blue, ahead. Blue. What would you pick? It, it's a tough question. It really is. Cause I mean, I think Robin hit all the key points. Um, you know, do you want to be comfy? Do you want to just not know? I mean, you, you know, look at Cypher in the movie. His point was, you know, I know this isn't real, but you know what? <laughs> I want to be comfy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, the value of the question and of the choice yep. really only has any agency if you know what you're choosing between. So you do right. kind of right. need to at least know. But once right. you do know, like Cypher, which would you pick? Because you're you're living in a I mean, world, I, the real world. You don't really have a lot of agency on what happens around you. You don't have a way mm. to influence that world. You're hiding in a hole, almost literally. Right. And that right. is your life. Or would it be better to be living in a world that, I don't even want to say it's fictional, because if everybody is there, is it truly fictional just because it's virtual? Right. But the, the point is in your own mind, if you knew what you were living, wasn't reality, uh -huh. would you be okay with that? And, and it's a tough question. I don't know. I what mean, if your reality provides you no life? What do you mean? Well, if you know that what you're living in isn't reality, then it makes it hard to choose that. But if the choice for reality is that, you're robbed of any true existence. If the quality of life is to the point where you might as well not live, then that's not a great choice to make either. So you're, it's kind of a damned right, if but, you do, I damned mean, if you don't. Exactly. But, but, you know, I mean, the old saying is to, to thine own self be true. You mm -hmm. know, is if, if you're living a lie, are you going to be satisfied with that? Can you, can you do that down the road? Okay. So is it really a lie? You're having you, real, you're having real relationships, real meaningful relationships. You are doing activities that contribute to the other members of the community around you. Is it a lie? How do you define that as a lie? Well, it comes back to knowing the truth. Do you, know, do you know that you're living in a simulation? Do you know that or do, or do you not know and you're just... You know, so, there. so for the sake of argument, let's say that you do know, because otherwise the choice is a moot point anyway. To make the choice, to really well, choose, if, you if have you, to know both sides. Okay, so, so if you do know the truth, that, mm -hmm. that you'd be living either in the matrix in, in a lie or living in the real world in the most deplorable conditions ever, trying to make a better life for humanity, mm -hmm. that is not much different than the choices between, you know, being a collaborator, collaborator in World War II with the Nazis or 
mm-hmm. trying to be a freedom fighter. Well, now hold on a minute. I would argue that the, the analogy breaks. Okay. What makes this a lie? I mean, in, in the situation, the World War II thing, and I mean, we should be a little careful maybe with all yeah, that, yeah. with the Holocaust and all that. But I mean, you were the people who collaborated. Some of them were doing so under duress. And that's a, a little bit different situation than this. Well, like, take do this or we're going you know, to execute you and your family. Right. But I mean, take yeah. that out of it and just say, okay, either you're going to collaborate and be in a much better position or mm-hmm. you're going to work for the underground or work for the resistance um, and struggle just to get by. Okay. So what's, here's the thing though. If the right they thing, are... I mean, the right thing to do is to struggle to get by and make a better life for yourself and your people. The easy answer is to say, you know what? I, I'm going to be on the other side and just get taken care of. But here's the thing. I I'm going to present the argument that it's not necessarily selfish because it's, there is community there. There is society there. So it's not an issue of you being selfish. The machines are keeping people alive, are allowing them to have these lives and communities and society and, and such. Is it a lie? What makes that a lie if the interactions you're having are real, the decisions you're making within that environment are real? It, the environment may be a virtual environment, that is not literally happening to your body physically. But when you think about it, your brain is connected to your body through a bunch of wiring and synapses and interpretation of various inputs, auditory, visual, et cetera. So if you are just wiring that in to accept inputs from a different source, does it matter if if the if you still have agency in that environment if you are still affecting the world around you having families and uh having careers and and making friends and and building communities and and things like that yeah but it's still not real you're still sitting in a chamber somewhere all plugged in being a slave to the system but at, at, at the risk of, of being cheesy and quoting Morpheus here, what is real? How, how do you define? Because we, a lot of our existence is based on memories. We make decisions based on our memories, right? And mm-hmm. we grow as people based on our experiences, which are memories. And yet we've proven over and over again that memories are often inaccurate. They're not reliable. They're false. They can actually be changed after the fact. So is that real? People remember things as being real that are not actually real. So even today in the real world, we are we believe things and believe to have experienced things that aren't real. So so for me, here's here's where here's where I enter the conversation. And I think for me, the blue blue pill. I'm getting lost in yeah, red and blue here. Yeah, it's hard to keep track yes. of. Um, the Matrix pill and the real world pill. The woke pill, right? Um, gives gives the the taker a sense of purpose, and I think that's where I start to err on the side of you know what I'm. I might be completely miserable, but I have a purpose, and I think that's what uh, Neo gave to us 
and um the guy who tried to kill Cypher. Tank. Um yeah, Cypher took away from us, right? C Cypher was the despicable character for me because he knew I mean, he didn't understand really what was involved in the taking of of the blue pill, but but he he gave up. He lost his sense of purpose, he lost his sense of self and simply just regressed and that that for me was was tough to see. I liked the sense of purpose that Trinity had um that she helped Neo find. Um and so then yeah, I guess I I know my answer. Okay. Right? So the thing is with Cypher, it's not that once he discovered what was real and he went back into the matrix to live that he lost a sense of purpose. He was in the real world without a sense of purpose. And that made him want to go back to the matrix. No, she has, I think that's not the case. He was, he no. was woke up. Yeah. You know, against his will, really not really knowing what the consequence of that choice was. And he's like, you know, hell no, I want to go back in. Right. But he, in that argument, he felt like he had no purpose in the real world. So being in that real world, he, he lost that motivation to live. He lost any sense of purpose. And also when it comes to purpose, which is absolutely a driving force of existence as humans, uh -huh. we also have to keep in mind when looking at this argument that we're looking at the hero, the, the protagonist of the story. Not everybody who wakes up is going to be a Neo. You're going to have people who wake up and immediately get flushed down the tube and die. I mean, Neo mm -hmm. almost drowned and would have if the Nebuchadnezzar hadn't have been there. If waking if you knew that if you learned the truth, you were going to end up dying as a result, would you still take that pill? And even if not, you're not necessarily going to be the one. You're not going to have some grand destiny where you like save everybody. Yeah, I get it. Not not everybody who woke is going to be the one. I right. think though that it's painful to watch someone lose faith. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Really, and that's and that's I think what happened to Cipher. He he lost his faith in Morpheus. He lost his faith in in um, having an effect. You know, part of part of faith is is accepting consequences for actions without really knowing the end game. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can, you can, by the law of large numbers, figure out that you're not going to live forever, but you don't really know the end game. And so every step you take is a leap of faith. And I think this movie helped solidify that with the visuals, with the dialogue, with the, with the relationships that were formed. Um, and that to me carried, carried the movie. Oh, and, yeah, it, yeah. and it was painful for me to watch Cypher lose faith. Absolutely. I mean, from the point of view of watching the movie, I agree with you completely. Exploring the philosophical question, if you remove the savior character from the equation and there assume, you know, for the sake of argument, to look at it objectively that there is no Neo. Then mm -hmm. I can understand why Cypher lost faith, because he observed the the factual data that they weren't having an effect. 
So right. why and, not and go don't forget, back in? His caveat was, I don't want to remember a thing. So he wanted to go back to that ignorant state yeah. of quote unquote bliss. Yeah, see, he I think didn't I want to just go back. He wanted to erase the fact that, um, that something else actually, actually exists. That's a good point. Like if I were in mm. his boat, I think I would still want to remember as weird mm. as that might sound. But I mean, I, I, I see what he's getting at. I mean, his, his like, like Rebus said, his point was, I don't want to remember anything. Yeah. Plug me back in and put me back in the matrix and I'm, I'm good, you know? Okay. So yep. Robin, explain this, uh, pistol, pistolology <laughs> word that I brought up at the beginning of the show. Explain to our listeners what that means and why it's relevant to this movie. Cause I obviously cannot. So for me, it's, well, first of all, it's how do you know what you know? Well, right? first of all, what's um, the actual word? <laughs> oh, it's epistemology. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a branch of philosophy. Um, and the idea is how do you know what you have come to believe is, is knowledge with a capital K and, you know, um, humanity has faced this several times, you know, most recently, you know, we, in science, they struggle with this, this thing that, you know, um, of the duality of, of, you know, what's real light is both a particle and a wave, you know, um, right. Everything appears solid, but it really isn't. And when I talk to students about it, especially the, everything appears solid, but it's not really, it's actually, you know, all of those subatomic particles, particles vibrating at a, at a vibration and, and you with your, um, perceptions of what is real coupled with that, bring that reality to life and it appears solid. And I think this is another bright shining moment of the movie really ex like explores what the heck is that like, you know, what is it like to think that something is, is right there in front of you, touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it. And it's not, that's not it. It's, you know, there is no spoon, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and that's, that's the freaky head trip that, um, you know, people accused the Morpheus character of laying on people. And, and, um, it, it, it's a very uncomfortable state of being when you, it's very difficult for humans, I think, to live in a world where you could round the next corner and nothing will ever be the same. And this explores that question. So with the nature of, if you look at the nature of reality, it's just a bunch of, of atoms, protons, neutrons, and electrons, or below that even, and you're looking at quarks and things like that. What we know as reality is merely our brain's ability to interpret what we're seeing or what we're able to see with our senses to the best of our ability. So even our quote reality is inherently just a, it's a, and it's an approximation. It's, it's a translation of what's actually out there. You could argue that 
there is a spoon because if you can manipulate the spoon, if others around you can see the spoon, if they can interact with the spoon, then for all practical purposes, the spoon is there. On the other hand. Um, and, and it's not at the same time. I, like I get the flip side of the argument, but I, I'm just saying that, you know, reality is subject to interpretation. Yes. And, but holding on to a reality is, um, is the thing that, that confines us. And I think what this movie helps us to explore is what could happen if you opened your mind, could literally open your mind to um, a world of possibilities as if, and, and, and that's, that's scary. That, that is, that is a scary, scary thought. I sometimes think, what am I missing? Like there's so much out there. I'm, I'm missing it because a, I'm a monolingual person. I only speak one language, which means I can only think in one language. Right. And, um, that's frustrating at times. I feel like I could solve so many more problems if I could just think differently. But thinking differently is, 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 a, you know, a great, huge task. And sometimes I get tired after working a full day. <laughs> well, yeah. So, hmm. So this movie is a brilliant shining example of um of the beginning of exploring that i think however as a trilogy it just couldn't stand up for me i i i really must repeat myself and say that i really do feel like we just kept seeing the same story over and over and i i hope and pray this next movie doesn't just give us another supervillain, another superhero. Um, I don't think it's and a different reality going to. I I think that you know there's a lot of divisiveness amongst movies in various different franchises, and there are some where people are pretty well united in their opinions. And I think that when it comes to the Matrix, people typically really appreciate and love the first one. And then a lot of them just end it there. We love the first one. We're going to pretend that two and three didn't happen or <laughs> the few that pretend that two and three did happen. Do it with the caveat that yeah, there was a lot of problems with it. So I have to think that they're not oblivious to that issue. I think when they come back to make the next one, I have to think that they get it. You would hope. I do hope. I don't know. Technology has advanced. Um, They can't rely on being the new kid on the block when it comes to using um, a technology really well. Yeah. No, there were two things that made the Matrix stand out. One was the technology and, and the style of filming that they used. And as you mm-hmm. said, not that big a deal anymore. And the other is the fact that it was so deep. That's what mm-hmm. they're going to have to rely on, I think. But, but then, you know, you fast forward to, uh, there's there's a movie out there which we haven't covered, um, Inception. 
And to this day, Why don't we I do can't that next? figure that movie out. Well, then, I would love to. Then we should cover it. Maybe not like next episode, but that should be one of the next um, mm-hmm. movies that we focus on for an episode. Now, that movie, to me, stands out in sharp contrast to this because where this hit me with the black and white, this is real, this isn't, I, to this day, can't tell you what was real in Inception. I have an answer to that, and and we should wait until we we discuss (laughs) that movie. Until we cover it, right. Yeah. It wasn't so black and white for me. It was definitely very black and white. Not at all black and white. And you're right. This Mm. one was very much about, but again, I think that there's some value to, we we say we don't want things spoon-fed to us, and I don't think The Matrix did. But whereas Inception, we don't know what the reality was. I think that there's a benefit to knowing it in The Matrix because it makes the choice that much more important having Mm -hmm. that black and white between the two sides makes it so that it's not about the nature of reality. It's about the choice. And there are themes that are interesting and compelling throughout the rest of the trilogy too. Um, And I'm going to be fair. A lot of this stuff I've gotten from different websites and stuff like that. I'm not claiming that any of these theories are my own, but when we look at the, the very end of the trilogy, the, standoff between neo and uh, the agent you knew that neo couldn't beat agent smith and neo knew that he couldn't beat agent smith the fact that he chose to fight anyway was i think what made it a more powerful moment for him and what made it had value because for agent smith it was about destiny but not choice. Whereas for Neo, it was all about the choice and, and the choosing to fight. Whereas Agent Smith was just doing what he did. He, he was fulfilling his nature. There's, I think there's a very powerful difference between the two. And I think that that's one of the, the themes in, in the trilogy that mattered. And there's also the fact that at the end of the movie, they're right back in the Matrix again. They're in the seventh iteration of the Matrix. They're not all in the real world and rebuilding cities and walking around in their ragged gray, you know, waffle cut shirts. They're back in the Matrix trying to make a world for themselves there. And what does that say? Hmm. I think that says the machines won. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do have a whole problem with the suspension of disbelief part of how the machines can't wipe out the human resistance. And I have the same problem with this in the Terminator series ah, as well. But wait, well, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the Terminator, but in the Matrix, the machines design the resistance the mm-hmm. resistance has purpose it's the way yeah. for the machine to keep refining himself because mm-hmm. each time the chosen one gets get to better. the source the source yep. allows the chosen one to select a handful of people to rebuild the machines go in and they wipe out zion they succeed that's true yeah in killing that's the resistance mm-hmm. and yep. they allow them to rebuild zion and build the resistance again Right, yeah. right. And, and they need each other throughout the right. entire It's that refinement yeah. 
of the yeah. OS so that the people don't go crazy. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So there's, there is actually a symbiosis there. True. So th there is an argument that the machines are, I mean, given this now the machines took over and, and blah, 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 and all of that was really bad. And, but now with the current state of things, I mean, look, what are the machines going to do for the humans? The humans, I don't think really want to go back to that world in mass. Like there's no food, there's no, there's no life there. So the machines are providing those people with this seventh matrix and it is more symbiotic than it was initially the machines won and then they realized that they couldn't keep their kingdom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in preparation for this episode uh at the end of the class tonight i asked my students to um please do a, a one page um, sort of persuasive essay on whether um, machines are actually harmful to human. Uh-huh. So I will, it, I will let you know. I would be very curious as to what some of the, the presentations are. I will are. let you know what they say. Yes. Hmm. I mean, I think in this movie, it's, it's pretty clear that. Yeah, it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, where where else to go with this, Robin? You're you're kind of the, I think the, probably the more well educated of of the three of us, and um, I dare say probably more well schooled in philosophy and and the different concepts here. You're the only person here who knows how to pronounce episiotomy, epi, epistolology. <laughs> Or whatever that uh, all of you is. out there in Discord land, forgive us, forgive us. It's late. <laughs> yeah. So you know this this is this is a classic, you know, philosophical argument. Um, you know, and uh, the, I, I mean, I think we've I think we've we've covered that. We we get it. I liked I like the bit of theology that it that it brings to bear, knowing that. You know, ultimately, philosophers were just originally trying to answer the question of whether God exists, which is why they started exploring um, sort of the nature of of humans and reality and um, thinking us thinking ourselves into existence. And so um, it it was a smart move um, that the uh, Wachowskis took in, in writing this the way they did. I think they took an extremely complex, abstract concept, married it with um, some of the uh, evolutionary things that humans have done. And, um, and we, we got this gem, but I, I mean, I am going to say, I, I do think it's a, sorry, um, Wachowskis, I do think it's a standalone gem and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant about the next movie. I, I don't, 
know if four is going to be a magic number. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, listen, Lou, are you I, looking forward to it? I enjoyed the second and third, but it's the first one that is really the standout. I mean, it's so hard to capture the same magic in sequels that you had in that first one. Um, I mean, very few movies continue at the same high level that they started at if they continue on with, with trilogies or, or, you know, a series of movies. One of the only ones I can think of that was better for the second one, uh, arguably better, I guess, would be Terminator. Um, I thought the second one was a great movie. The Aliens is another one in the same yeah, vein of the I second movie. was two. on par with the first one, at least. But after yep. that, they go downhill. And this one didn't even have that sophomore release being as good as the first one. Um, the first one was just, it was magic. It was, it was just, it was perfect as far as that storytelling goes. And you can't keep, going with that most of the time. I mean, I don't fault them for that. It was, I don't think it was ever going to be as good as the first one mm -hmm. um, in these movies. I think the, where the sequels succeeded is in the world building. I thought that the conversation with the architect at the end of the second movie was absolutely convoluted. And <laughs> headache-inducing. That being said, I think the concept was interesting. I think the execution mm -hmm. in the movie was poorly done. Um, but I liked the world building. I liked the idea that the machines kind of orchestrated this whole situation with the Chosen One and Zion and stuff because right. it had to Basically, I mean, it's like uh, our cell phones. And I mean, we're not still using an iPhone 3GS. We get a new one and then a new one and then a new one. We keep getting told over and over, hey, this is bigger. It does 12 megapixels instead of 10 megapixels. And we don't really care because we're looking at those photos on the same small screens. But, oh, my gosh, we have to get the next thing. And there's this upgrade mentality. And I think that it makes sense to take that sociological consumerist construct that we have and then reflect that into something like the matrix where humans are getting bored and, and this, like you can't give them a utopia because mm -hmm. then they get bored and they get complacent and they get lethargic and slothful and gluttonous. And mm -hmm. that's not satisfying as a human. And so, but the problem is the machines can't understand what would be satisfying to humans. And so they have to have humans help them. So the fact that they have the humans upgrading the system unintentionally over and over again, I thought was a really clever way to handle that approach. Mm -hmm. Again, the execution fell a little bit flat, mm -hmm. but I liked that concept. And there were a few other similar types of things like that, I think, in the sequels that worked for me. So when it comes to the fourth movie, I think that if they can learn from the mistakes they made during the second and third movies of, it almost seemed like they were very distracted with being able to go in so many different directions that they didn't really mm -hmm. focus in delivering. Like, I think they focused in getting the concepts down. They just didn't focus on presenting those concepts in a compelling way. You know, I, I'll make this and now I'll make the Star Wars analogy for a second. I, I think the second and third movies 
to me are kind of like Boba Fett. Because Uh-oh. the first movie Uh-oh. didn't explain it. Lou, oh my God. tread carefully. <laughs> uh, tread it, carefully, it, my the friend. The first movie had, the first movie is Boba Fett. And then we had uh-huh. to explain Boba Fett in the second and third movie. I'm like, no, we didn't need the explanation because that was great. But when you try to explain it, it just, it breaks down somehow because, you know, you're taking the mystery and the magic out of what happened in the first one and giving more reason to it, more definition to it. I get what you're saying. I, I disagree, but I, I get what you're saying. Like it, if you're going to have sequels though, you have to expand on the world building. And I think, so I, I will agree with you in the sense that I think with Neo as a character, they did that. And I didn't like it, but I think that the world building aside from Neo, I found very interesting. In fact, the things I liked the least about the second and third movies were Neo. Again, the third movie, I loved the whole Zion plot and uh, Niobe and Morpheus and all that. I kind of got like let down every time it went back to Neo and the agents. I wanted to see more of what was going on with Zion. So I agree with you that they over-explained in kind of a Boba Fettish way, fetish? <laughs> Bo- <laughs> Boba Fettish fetish way when it comes to Neo. But I thought that the world's building that they did, again, while not executed all that well, that was, the, the world building was justified. Okay. And in concept was really okay. good. Okay. You know, I'll throw this out there, too, as far as another movie to talk about the whole nature of reality, uh, you know, what's real, what's not real. Um, and I, I didn't realize so I looked it up as we were talking here. It came out the same year as Matrix. Dark City? Um, no, 13th Floor. Oh. Yeah, 13th Floor. It, it had that element of what's real, what's not. The characters in the simulation were... You know, oblivious to the fact that there was another world out there until the very end when things changed. It, it was it was just a cool concept in how do you live your life if you don't know it's not real type yeah. thing. I was close. Dark City came out in 1998, the year oh, okay. before The Matrix and The 13th Floor. We should do a show where we talk about Dark City, we talk about the 13th floor, and we're going to get to Inception, and we could do that separately because I think Inception is a much deeper dive. Yeah. I do too. But I don't know. I, I think that those could be fun. Dark City was another one where it's kind of black and white for a lot of the movie, but then not entirely. And there's a theatrical <laughs> cut and a director's cut and uh, I think that if I could talk you guys into watching both, I think it would be really interesting. To, I would really be fascinated in hearing. I don't know if I've ever seen the the, uh, the uh, director's cut. The director's cut, I thought, was better. Um, you didn't really have the Keeper Sutherland narration. Uh, I'd be really interested in hearing... Um, Robin's thoughts on the differences between the two cuts too. And I also want to say, I know not everybody, Robin, I think is on record saying she's not into commentaries and such. And I am not a Roger Ebert fan, but Roger Ebert's commentary track for Dark City, and I think it might've been the theatrical cut, was the single best movie commentary I've ever heard. Wow. 
it was phenomenal. And Dark City is also one of my favorite movies of all time. But it it kind of has that. It, it's a lot more based on um, our reality is being defined by our memories. But uh, it it too is kind of along the same sense of you know what is real, what how do you define reality and such. Thirteenth mm-hmm. floor, I think, was just more of a uh, how do we put it in a PG thirteen way a mind screw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really. Yeah. I have to watch this. It, the, I think the thirteenth floor had the science fiction elements of the whole simulacrum thing, like the, the simulation within a simulation without a lot of the philosophical mm-hmm. depth. Uh, the Matrix Yeah, it didn't was, have the depth that these movies have. No. no, no. But but and yet the concept was still really interesting, but it was very much mm-hmm. more, hey, here's a science fiction concept. Let, let's explore it. The Matrix was much more about the philosophy. Dark mm-hmm. City was more narrowly focused with its philosophical concepts. Again, it was pretty much exclusively about the nature of memory and the role that it plays in reality. Whereas the matrix mm. had multiple different things going on simultaneously. But oh, the, yeah, 13th the matrix floor tried was, to do everything. Right. Right. Uh, 13th floor was good. It just wasn't as deep, but it, it was definitely kind of uh, a trip. So, I don't know. Do you guys, uh, do you think you'd be interested in watching those? Yep. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be on our list. And so we're going to do Inception. Maybe we'll do Inception first because we've all seen it and there's only one cut of it. We will then tackle uh, a combined episode for Dark City and the 13th Floor. And if you guys are willing to, please try to catch, especially you, Robin, try to catch both the theatrical and the director's cut of Dark City if you've got the, the time for it. I doubt I could talk you into catching the commentary, but you might, (sighs) and I might have to break out my old DVDs out of the attic to hunt down the commentary because I don't think it's in the iTunes. Yeah, I thought I had dark city in my iTunes library, but I guess I don't. (laughs) I've got it. Um, but I think I overwrote my local rip of it with the iTunes, uh, store version. So I don't know if I've still got my commentary track. Mm. And if I and do, they do, they do have both versions in iTunes, the director's cut and the original. Yeah. For rent. Uh, they should, yeah, they um, should be for rent. Probably. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that's a plan then. So we are going to do that and, and tackle that for the next episode of movie chatter. Any other things, uh, last thoughts you want to get out of the way here? We better prep for our Halloween episode. Well, yeah. I forgot all about the fact that that's coming up again. That's coming up again. We've been at this, gents. Yeah. Mm. Crunch, 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 says Lou. (gasps) Okay, it's the director's Um, cut that has the Roger Ebert commentary. And the director's cut is not available for rent in iTunes, but the regular version is. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I will have to assist Robin in getting the director's cut with the commentary. I don't know if the iTunes version has the commentary because it doesn't say iTunes extras. It does not, which is why I said I'd have to assist Robin with getting the... Yeah, we'll we'll talk offline. 
I don't want to incriminate things I could use an assist too. Yeah. 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 I was going to say. All right. Well, it's Eric for the assist. Yeah, with the triple double. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, and uh, we would love to hear from you. I know there are a lot of Matrix fans out there, and I know there are a lot of you who did not care for the second and third one. And you know, we really didn't talk about any of the extra content either. A lot of the other content, the shorts and the animatrix, the comic book stuff, um, those covered a lot of the philosophical content, uh, less so I think the theological content. Some of them were really good. The one that comes to mind for me out of the comic books is, I think it was called Goliath, and it was written by Neil Gaiman. And it's about aliens are coming to invade the earth. The machines have to do something about it. So they wake somebody up who's a pilot and put him into one of the machines to go take care of the aliens. And then there's questions as to whether or not this guy's going to be able to make it back or not. Uh, it's a very short story, but it's, it's basically a dialogue between him and the aliens. And it's, I found it absolutely fascinating, but if you guys can find that stuff out there, I would highly recommend checking that out as well. Uh, but let us know what you think. Shoot us an email, movie chatter at randomchatter.com and talk to us about the matrix. What did you like? What did you not like? What did you get out of the movie? If anything, and are you excited for the fourth movie that is now in the works? You can also contact us in discord and discuss it there. If you go to randomchatter.com slash discord, we have channels for free for each of the movies on the Random Chatter Network. So uh, download the app for your smartphone, your tablet, your computer. doesn't matter what platform it's available on all of them. And then go to randomchatter.com slash discord. If you'd like to help support the network, you can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon. We have different perks available for uh, different people who help support the network financially. And we really do appreciate it. Believe it or not, it does help uh, keep the lights on around here, so to speak. And uh, in fact, just before this recording, we recorded an episode of Behind the Curtain, which is a uh, Patreon donor exclusive podcast that we do. And as a special thank you to the people who help support us, even if it's just $1 a month, we have created additional channels in Discord that are focused on more topical things such as various different franchises or spoiler discussions or life in general. So whatever your reality is, there are channels in Discord where you can come hang out with us. There are a lot of great conversations going on there. Uh, Let's see, what else here? Go to randomchatter.com and check out the entire network of shows. We've got at least one new Star Wars show coming in the pipe uh, pretty quickly here. And we've got some other projects that uh, are, are starting to get worked on is the summer months and people's vacations are winding down. So keep an eye out for those. And that's it. So the music you hear in this episode, as I go back to the show notes that I don't have open because I'm a professional, uh, the music you hear, Secret Agent Business by Blue Stolly and the Silliest of Sentence Sounds, all trademarks are owned by their respective owners. So until next time, take care and keep the chatter going.